The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. For as little as $5 per month, you can help keep the show ad-free while also helping to fund our annual updates to our 2021 FBS team profiles. On that note, our Tier 2 Patreon supporters receive access to our daily updated depth charts, including transfer and injury news, other personnel moves, as well as individual player ratings, coach and team performance history, in-depth returning production numbers, power rankings, and point spread projections, and much more for all 130 FBS teams. Visit patreon.com slash CFBWinningEdge for more details. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and fighter of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. Nick, how was your weekend, man? How's everything going for you? Uh, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting time. We were just talking before we hit record that I do have a... Uh, a move planned. And so anybody who's been listening for a while or knows me personally knows that I move a lot. This is not necessarily a, mm-hmm. uh, a big surprise, but a lot no of mad the, Nick, a lot of the, yeah, yeah. So, but a lot of the details for uh, the next move are, are starting to take shape. Uh, and over this past weekend, it did some, uh, you know, getting a storage unit, getting a truck uh, uh, scheduled, all that all of the fun, fun stuff. Exactly. All the fun stuff. So taking a little bit away from, uh, or at least my mental energy away from some of the college football projects I still need to get done. But, uh, you know, other, other than that, uh, not a not a bad weekend. How about you guys? Yeah, pretty good for me. Xavier, what did what, uh, you get into over the weekend? As you can finally tell, I sound normal again. So that's, <laughs> I mean, I'm ecstatic about that. I finally sound like a human being again, uh, you know, not a gremlin. So, that I mean, I'm, I'm ecstatic about that. Um, other than that, I am just excited for the NBA playoffs. That's what I've been doing. I've been in my room just watching playoff games every night until like 1 a.m. Thanks, West Coast teams. Um, so, yeah. Hey, how about, how about those Hawks, huh? Oh well, I mean, you know, hey, you know, I'm just, I you know, I haven't, I haven't watched. How about the Suns? I've seen some scores, yeah. and they look good. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm a Rockets fan. I'm originally from Houston, and that, like, I bring from from my Texas roots. I bring the Rockets and the Longhorns. So, mm-hmm. uh, my dad's whole side of the family is from Pittsburgh, and when my parents got divorced, we moved here to Arizona. So Diamondbacks. So I do have weird allegiances, but they are to the <laughs> bone and to the core, you know. But, uh, but well, the, I, as I'm, we know, I'm a Duke. College basketball fan, of I'm course, a, a Yankee fan, fan right? Uh, a Patriots <laughs> fan, right? Uh, of course, all the Alabama fan, right? And Laker fan, right? Yeah, we got oh, you. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the worst person, right? There is, is that those teams. That's no yes. offense to any of our listeners. If that's, uh, it, you know what? If you're a fan of all those teams, take offense. Uh, that, that's what I would say. Uh, you are not a real fan. But anyway, uh, uh, it, it, yeah, the the Suns. I mean, look. 
that there's a ton of sports in this town in Phoenix, right? We have professional baseball, football. We have all the major four. We have college bowl games. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Super Bowls are played here. Golf is played here. We have the Arizona Fall League. I mean, uh, there are all kinds of sports here, but at its dead core, it's uh, basketball Arizona team. is still a basketball town because the Suns were the first pro team here, and it is it's electric in this town right now. They are very very excited about the Suns, and it's been a while. I think it was 2010 or 2011 mm -hmm. the last time the Suns made the playoffs. So mm -hmm. it has been fun. Always fun to see that stuff. And uh, you know what? That might be coming your way if uh, you are a college football fan and looking for your team to make a splash and possibly make the college football playoff. Maybe that's coming your way for your team because we do have a new college football playoff proposal that would expand it to a 12-team format. This would be uh, six spots to the highest-ranked conference champions and then six mm -hmm. at-large bids to any other school uh, in the country. So this is very, very interesting. This is getting... An unbelievable amount of pushback is what I would say. It almost seems like most people would rather go back to two teams before they would see it expanded to 12, which to me is <clears throat> bonkers. I, I just think the, the, more, the more college football we get, the more games we get, uh, the better I think it can make more money. Maybe we can start paying some of these kids. You know, uh, either way, you get more exposure to your school. I think there should also be like an NIT as well, another, you know, uh, uh, another tournament as well. Xavier is vigorously shaking his head against this. But let, Nick, let, let's get your initial thoughts on the uh, the playoff first. Uh, the, the 12 team versus, let's just say what we have now with four teams. So I, I, we were again just sort of uh, bantering about this off air, and and it sounds like maybe I've got the hottest take of all. Uh, I I don't really care. I yeah. <laughs> I, I think get on know, a side of this fence. No, Come on, sorry. You know how this I mean, country it's, works it's, now. Uh, You're either all in or all out. There's no middle. You know, <laughs> there's so no middle ground here. The, right. I I am I'm old enough to remember before. <laughs> the BCS when there were, you know, there wasn't even a national championship game. I thought that was fun. You know, I thought it was fun when the Rose bowl and the sugar bowl had the, you know, two different bowls had the number one versus number two team and there could be split national championships. I thought that was fun. I thought the BCS was fun. I thought, you know, I think the college football playoff at you know, four teams is, is fun. I'm sure the 12 teams will be fun too. I'll watch it. You know, I think uh, some of the, the pushback I've seen, uh, just, you know, from random people uh, replying to other things is uh, like, oh, well, who's going to watch this? Well, I'll watch it. You know, Everyone. I mean, I, I watch ULM at South Alabama on Tuesday night. At, you know, it, it doesn't really matter to me. I'll certainly. The worst argument I've ever heard. Is who's going to watch this? It <laughs> right. really it is uh, because everyone is going to watch it because it's a tournament. I mean, look, who watches the regular season of college basketball? Uh, almost nobody. They have 64 teams going to the tournament. That is when all eyes get put on it, you know, and in any sport with a, you know, uh, a vigorous uh, regular season gets uh, a ton of people watching the playoffs. I mean, uh, you know, let, let's talk about let's talk about the last couple Braves games you've watched, Nick. Uh, were they were they playoff games or were they regular season games? 
<laughs> uh, this is this uh, this hurts me a little bit because I for a long time was a, a very uh, passionate Braves fan, but I've kind of let that slide a little bit. And I I, I think I've caught a, a few innings of a Braves game this year, but I did uh, make a point. Sat to down watch and watched the whole game. The playoff was that, game was that yeah. that that's playoffs, so right? Last, last year's playoffs. Yeah, so they get more viewers regardless of pe- of if people like it or not because you see Scott did ask me that question. There's there's <laughs> most yeah you work you for watch the Orioles. I, I you watch know. college football. <laughs> I watch replays of college football. I watch college football related uh, you know coaching videos and uh, reruns of the Love Boat with my wife. Right. But most people aren't you. Right. Most people don't only watch college football and then love boat reruns. Right. Most people have a dabbling of other things uh, like me. I I, every single night that every single time we're recording this, I have baseball on on my television or basketball like almost every single time. It's weird when there is not some sport on my TV. Uh, you know, while we're recording this, there's usually something going on. You know, I watch, I watch reruns of Brooklyn nine, nine and stuff like that. When there's no more sports to watch when they're all done for the night, because I'm a, you know, I stay up till three or four in the morning every day. So, but um, I think it's just, it's just a bad argument for who's going to watch this just because you don't find it enjoyable because you are, are a college football traditionalist. I'm not speaking to Nick. I'm speaking to the people that would make this argument. Doesn't mean that it's not going to get more eyes on it. I mean, people watch the college football tournament in the, you know, the FCS in the lower levels because it's interesting because it's a playoff and everything's on the line. So uh, that that is not the best argument, but uh, you know, so we heard Nick doesn't care, which is the craziest of all the arguments to me. Uh, but I, I'm all for it. I think once again, the the more the more football we get, the better. I think uh, it's going to make more money. It's going to put more recruits' eyes on different teams, not just the couple teams that are playing for the national title. You know, uh, and, and I think the only the only fans that don't really like. Uh, expanding a playoff and maybe it's just to 12. I can see people saying, well, let's not do 12. Let's do six. I understand that, you know, let's take baby steps before we go, just push all in. And, and, and that I can get behind more than let's just not do it. Let's go back to one place too. Uh, the only fans that are, are that actually want that for the most part are fans of Alabama, Clemson, Ohio state, Oklahoma, like your team has a shot to get in there, you know, because Iowa state doesn't have a shot in most years this year. They have a shot, but Kansas state doesn't have a shot this year. You know, if we go to 12 and they have an unexpectedly good year and they finish in the top 10, they're getting in now. So I kind of like this, uh, for everybody, but Xavier, it seems like you are on the opposite side of me. So let's hear your argument. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense to go 12. I think you're opening the door to people not caring about certain games. I mean, this is what you're opening the door for, uh, 10, uh, sorry, two years ago, you had had a 10 and four ball club in the playoff there's no way a team that loses four games should have the ability to even smell a college football playoff i'm sorry that's just not fair to the the, the top eight teams i think it should go to eight i'm not a, i am a fan of, of expansion i don't think expansion okay. up to this magnitude uh, because what you're doing is you're really opening the door to and i think when people think about expansion they always think college football to college basketball Here's the difference. It's not a one for college, one. Yeah, it's not. College football is a much more physical game. You're stretching the season out, which is already an elongated year for a lot of these teams. So if you're a 12 seed in this in this expanded 
in, in its expansion, you could have the ability to possibly have to play 16 to 17 games. You're now playing an NFL season for a lot of these college kids. That is not favorable for a lot of these kids. I don't think it makes sense for them from a health standpoint, from a scheduling standpoint. Now you're almost to where you're competing NFL. You go to 12 because the the, the college football playoff uh, national championship was what? The second week of January? Either first or second week of January, correct? Yeah. So yeah, now we're week. increasing it. So now we're increasing it two more weeks possibly. And now you're almost in Super Bowl territory. So that doesn't make I don't think sense. you do that though. I, I, I don't think there's so, as long a layoff. Uh, so are we I, now I, I think pushing you pick it up into the December. season? Okay, so now you're now you're taking away from bowl season, which are the only reason why those bowls are watched because people are watching the Idaho bowl if there's a playoff game on that day. If you know, so people are, are, are NIT, people will watch them. People are watching the Boca Raton Bowl. If there if there's a possibility of a playoff game, either the people next are day watching or the, day the Boca Raton Bowl. I mean, who was in the I, Boca I mean, Raton Bowl last year, Xavier? Was Go ahead, give it to me. Who was in? Who was in the Boca Raton Bowl? Do you know? Off the top of your head? Yeah, I don't know off the top of my head. I see fingers on keyboard. Yes, I'm looking it up. I want to find out. Well, I mean, for both of you, I'm not saying that you look. I'm not saying you should know. What I'm saying is. You know, are we really afraid of taking away from the Boca Raton Bowl or the Texas Bowl oh, or the Alamo yeah. Bowl? You know. I, I will always be happy to accept more college football, That's uh, right. whether I remember it afterwards or not. And we've already talked about, you know, once the once the season's over, my my you know brain drive of brain sure. just yeah, yeah. Like resets, and and so I forget a lot of stuff. But uh, but if there's a game. To be, you know, if a game is scheduled, we will project it. We will, uh, yeah. you know, do a projected point spread. We will look and see how our numbers react. We will uh, watch the game, take notes, talk about it afterwards, and and then, uh, you know, see if there are any production points to be had. We'll add those to our totals, and yeah. So uh, and you know, point- we'll go through the whole thing, and I'm happy to do that twenty times a year for a team. I'm right. happy to do it. Uh, 10 times, you know, however many they do. I, I certainly do understand and appreciate elongating the season is not good for the players. I do think yes. that the players should get, you know, a, a cut should get compensated more than they yes. are. I, I absolutely agree with all that. Uh, but is this a money grab? Yeah, sure. You know, is it TV? Mm-hmm. But, but if some of the money goes to the kids, that that's going to be my, my counterpoint. So is- that, yeah, I, I hope it does, you mm-hmm. know, whether it does or not, I could personally, you know, think that that X should happen. But you know, whether that actually happens, you know, we'll be here. We'll talk about it, and we'll absolutely uh, we'll we'll project the games, and we'll you know do do our entire process throughout. And I I will never turn down more college football. So right, and Xavier's uh, point is absolutely valid in in the fact of look, you're already not paying us. Now you're going to make us play three or four more games, that's absurd. And, you know, if that is the case, if they don't compensate these kids somehow, you know, with, uh, you know, some type of stipend from the commercials or the money, the TV money that, that they're getting or something, you're going to have exactly what we have We that started a couple years ago and has now kind of been a bigger trickle is guys going, well, I'm done with the regular I'm season. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to play. I'm going to go make my money in the NFL. But if you start giving them money from this, if this starts making real, real money, 
start giving them money, sure. they they now sure. have incentive to play. So uh, so there's that. And also, why not take the Boca Raton Bowl, which not a ton of people are watching, and make it round one of a tournament? You know what I mean? Make the bowl game. Let's in, instead of tying the whatever uh, the hair care entire bowl to El Paso, whatever one is in El Paso. Let's Sun make bowl. it. At oh, the, the oldest Sun bowls. Come on. Uh, okay. I respect the Sun Bowls, guy. Uh, do I? Uh, so <laughs> the uh, the Sun Bowl, which I I saw maybe I mean you know six hundred people in in the stands for this bowl. You know, make fair. it the home game. You know, <laughs> make it the fair. home game for one of the teams. Make it a different bowl. So the Boca Raton Bowl almost sold out the last before this COVID year. Yeah. Literally. Okay. I'm not, Hey, I'm okay, just, I'm so just don't saying. pull that one out of out of uh, and make it a tournament. Leave that one. But these other tournaments that are uh, get in in front of half empty stadiums, these other bowl games, you know, uh, that that are in front of half empty stadiums, make them, you know, home games for that college, and they're going to be making way more money. Right, right. Before we started recording, I saw a, a Twitter back and forth with uh, Bud Elliott and and someone else uh, talking about. At least, but Elliot's view on this, and it makes sense to me, just not really thinking, you know, seeing it, not really thinking too much into it, that this exact model seems to be potentially geared as much toward bowl executives as, as anybody else, because uh, we've seen non-playoff bowl games have a much higher uh, amount of opt-outs, you know, and, and things like that, that in some ways, whether you agree with it or not, is devaluing some of these bowls. And so if there are more bowls that are tied to the chase for a national championship, then that helps, you know, create more value, gets more people in the, in the seats if they are, uh, you know, some of the bowls are owned by ESPN and they don't really seem to care if they're a lot of people in the seats, but you know, the ones that are, that are more uh, tied to that as a, a revenue stream, you know, it's, it's an important piece of it and can create more of an atmosphere and, and all of that help, you know, bring people to the cities and, and things like that. But I, I thought that was an interesting note, something that I didn't think about until they brought it up was that it does, you know, this will benefit bowls. Uh, yeah, it sounds yeah. like the first round is going to be on campus, which wouldn't, but adding a quarterfinal, uh, you know, on, at both sides and then the semifinal and then the national championship as, as we've had it, you know, at least creates some of the, the New Year's six, I guess, at least uh, would be still that, you know, even higher profile because it would still, you know, you'd have your full complement of players and, and be for a national championship. At if the we're going to do that. This, in my opinion, there's no reason for these schools to have home games. I'll be per- 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 perfectly honest with you. I don't see the reason. I, if we're going to go for the money grab, then take well, the New Year's Six Bowl. They can make the argument, oh, but you know, we're not. It's not solely a money grab. So we're, we're, you know, you can stay. You've got finals coming up or whatever. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, and, I and look, you're, it, you're right, Xavier. If 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 they're making all of the money and they're pocketing it and they're not giving it any anything back to the kids. It's not going to last very long because, like you said, that they're going to be, you know, too many guys getting hurt and too many of these guys, you know, just saying, well, why am I going to play four more games for nothing, yeah. for nothing extra? I'm with you as far as that goes, but I don't I don't think you can make this happen without giving something back to them, 
whether well, it's why, like, you know, they, they, don't they get those baskets or whatever they call yeah, like the uh, swag bags? Yeah, the mm-hmm. swag bags for, for bowl games. So you got to make those like really worth it. Like, oh, you know, it's not like an iPod and a couple of movie tickets. Now it's like, oh, look, here maybe is $5,000 of grocery cards and, you know, uh, uh, all kinds of like actual stuff that these kids need, you know, in, in those if you're not giving them, you know, like, as Randy Moss would say, straight cash homing. So, you know, um, you got to do Fair something enough. for them or it's not going to be worth it for them. I'm with you as far as that goes. But I think there are workarounds to that stuff. Yeah, it's just for me, it's it's, it's really tough for me to see the NCAA being like, oh, yeah, we're going to make an extra two billion dollars. And we're going to give how much of this away? Like, it's just it's just really tough to see, especially when you look at, you know, you make the They're argument really that, good. yeah, they should be paying their players. But we look at how much the college basketball, you know, March Madness has been expanded since its original, you know, you know, we're at what, 68 teams now with a, with two play-ins or three yeah. or four play-in games now. And those kids don't touch a dime. So it's like. And nobody's getting CTE. Not many people fair enough. CTE from fair basketball. Enough. You know. Oh, yeah. Also, so, uh, just, remember, this isn't the NCAA. This is the conferences. Yeah. Enough. Yeah, that's also true. So, I mean, it's interesting. I, I, you know, like I said, I get it on both sides. And uh, I just, I am surprised when I see, you know, uh, our buddy Clint, uh, I think was kind of uh, against the the expansion here. And he's a Boise State fan. It's like, you know, that surprised me a little bit. And I may be mistaken, Clint, maybe you were for it. I'm I'm just using you as an example. I I thought I saw in our group me room at ITL, was uh, th- that you were against it, but I, it surprised me when fans of smaller schools would be against something like this because, look, maybe you get rolled over by Bama 60 to 7. Maybe you are embarrassed on the national stage, but you have a chance. You have a chance to win, and I think that's all you can ask for. You got to contend, and I think when you're playing against those teams, uh, the recruits are also going to see you. And, uh, you know, if you put a good, even if you don't win, if you make it competitive, maybe now you are more enticing to other schools. So the only teams I see losing from this are, like I said, the ones that are automatic bids. Yeah. Yeah, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, you know, the, the teams that are LSU, you know, the teams that if you go undefeated, you're getting, you're one of the four teams. End of story, you know? Yeah. But I will, I will argue for the teams that – and then I, I guess we'll kind of end on this and move on. But I do f- feel for some of the schools that feel like they don't want to get rolled over and have a better chance of taking a a destination trip to a New, a New Year's, Year's Six Bowl six. Yeah. and understanding that they have a better opportunity of winning those games. You know, I, I, I get – you know, if you're a Boise State fan or a UCF fan or a Coastal Carolina fan, not wanting to go and, you know, watch your team get, you know, steamrolled in Tuscaloosa versus possibly ending up in, you know, New Orleans and, and they watching also, that game. They also don't have to accept the bid. There's always that. Go ahead, Nick. I will say, and this is this is just anecdotal evidence, but uh, right after uh, Colt Brennan passed away a, a month or so ago. Uh, I was, I tweeted this out. It was reminded about, I, I went to the Georgia Hawaii sugar bowl game. Mm-hmm. Brennan led, led Hawaii to the, uh, to the bowl game there. And, and Georgia absolutely mm-hmm. dominated that game. Yeah. But I will say I, I have never, and I've been to dozens of 
college football games. Uh, I've never seen a more appreciative and happier group of fans than the Hawaii fans I saw before and also after the game. So them, you know, it was a magical season, them having the experience of going to a Sugar Bowl, uh, regardless of whether or not they got blown out and some would say embarrassed on national television, the, the fans that were there, at least the ones that I was uh, exposed to in, in the hotel and the, uh, you know, in the Superdome were loving every second of it that I saw. So, you know, for, for certain fan bases, and it might not be the same for everyone. And, and that was the first time for Hawaii fans. Maybe if they did that four five, six, seven times, it would get old eventually. But, you know, there are certain fans who, hey, we made a college football playoff. We were the 12 seed. Yeah, we got hammered by Alabama, but that was the greatest team in our program's history. And I was there and it was the best thing ever. So, you know, there's there's a little bit of that too. Um, that that even even on, you know, the oh, you got blown out side of things, there's still a lot of fun to be had, a lot of joy to be had from from and that still fandom. national exposure too, you know. Uh yeah. It's still national exposure. Maybe a kid uh, recruit sees the offense are running and likes it. Maybe he likes the fight. They didn't give up. You know, he likes the coach, whatever the story is, whatever is there. So, I, you know what, Xavier? I think we're at least pulling Nick off the fence. Yeah, so, we've done a good uh, job. At <laughs> <laughs> Actually, he wasn't even off the, he wasn't even on the fence. He was like in a field behind the yeah. fence, just not caring about the fence at all. So, uh, but hey, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, I'm at the fence watching whatever happens. I'll do, I'll do. <laughs> you're, you're that neighbor. Yeah. You're just over the years. <laughs> what are they okay. doing? They're going crazy again. I don't care. It's going to keep going. We'll just keep watching. It's fine. <laughs> but, uh, is there any, is there anything else that we didn't hit with this Xavier you wanted to say? I mean, people are going to talk about the competition factor of this. And I think that that's going to be a little bit overblown as this continues to be a conversation. Um, when you look at the last two, three years, uh, just 2020 through just 2018 through 2020, I think most of these games would have been at least appealing to watch. Uh, they might not have, once again, they may not have been, you know, an all time classic. Uh, but if we're just taking last year, for instance, you know, you're having Coastal Carolina play uh, Cincinnati in the first game or you're having, you know, Indiana play Georgia or whatever. Like, I think when, I think people are thinking about this as like, Oh, Alabama's going to have to play a 12 seed. They're going to steamroll them. And maybe that ends up happening, but I, I highly doubt it. There'll probably be a group first. And then the winners of that group then have to play one through four. Yeah. I think the top four. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I misspoke yeah. when I said Alabama too. Yeah. The top four seeds as it stands, get buys. Right. And interestingly, Notre Dame, because they will not, be a conference champion unless this accelerates some sort of formal joining of the ACC. Please, in football, uh, won't be eligible for that buy. So that that was a little bit of an interesting note. That Please. that'll get their asses into a into a conference real fast. Right? Guaranteed. Uh, well, I mean, look, it it's not official, and there's a lot of pushback. So I don't know if it's ever going to be official. This twelve team, but if I that is one of the positives that will come out of this. Should this go into effect, there's no way Notre Dame is giving up their shot at a buy. They'll just join the ACC and yes, it'll be done with. Stop so, hiding. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And by the way, I'm a Texas fan. Texas goes undefeated. They're getting into the tournament. Doesn't matter what year it is, where they started, mm -hmm. whatever. Texas is undefeated. They're in. And so yeah. I, I should be one of those people that maybe doesn't like uh, this uh, as far as the future of my school. But I would like to see the whole thing get better. And, and I think the whole thing gets better. 
uh, when we uh, when we expand stuff like this and just get more eyes on it. You know, get more you get more eyes on the playoffs. It makes people more interested and want to watch the regular season. I understand that it takes a little bit of luster off of some of those big games during the regular season, but those games are still going to matter. They're still going to matter a for seeding and B for, uh, you know, possibly getting in or out of the tournament. You're still going to have those border teams that don't get in. It's not going to be, it's still only 12. It's not like, you know, it's not like selection Sunday on, uh, for March madness, you know, or we're not doing super regionals like they do for the college world series or anything Mm -hmm. like that. It's still only 12 teams getting in. So it's still way less than 10%. So, uh, it's a bunch of teams, uh, a a lot more getting in than we're used to, but it's not like, you know, we're going down to the fifties or anything. Right. Yeah. And and those big games won't lose any luster at the end of the day, because like Nick said, the Nick alluded to it, you know, when though when there was no, you know, national championship game, those games didn't lose any luster whatsoever. Right. So even though, you know, we're expanding to 12, Auburn, Georgia in the middle of October is not going to lose any luster, just like, you know, Texas versus, you know, Texas versus Texas Tech isn't going to lose any luster at all because the fans of these schools drive those, you know, drive those big games more than the media does. And if this was, uh, if this was proposed and accepted by everybody and we got it to push through, it wouldn't even start for until 2023, 2023 the earliest, yeah. right, Nick? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I was about to say. Um, that which that, is the year that the NCAA starts paying starts the ability to pay players. So right. that's probably why it's not starting until then either. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, lost Oh yeah, so so we'll have a couple of more years to have this discussion yeah to ha- yeah uh, exactly to argue but, about this this is but great. uh also one thing and, and this is another maybe take that people will not agree with uh i i like the conference championship being part of it get get uh, a top six seed if you're a conference champion i i as someone who does you know numbers based proje- projections and things like that most People of my ilk do not, uh, you know, think that oh, the, the best team, not the most deserving team, seem seem to fall in that category a little bit more than the most deserving. I think I am fully on the you know most deserving team. I think we play the games for a reason. I think there's a conference championship for a reason. Sure, it's arbitrary who's in what conference or you know what have you, but uh, but I do like that portion of it. I, I I like conference champion gets in and and they've guaranteed a G5 by calling, you know, six uh, conference champions get in, uh, except I did see someone uh, threw out an idea like, oh, hey, well, uh, maybe now, you know, a, a group of power five schools gets together and forms a six yep. power five mm-hmm. conference just to just to spite them, you know, just let's let's revive the Southwest Conference sort of thing. So. Uh, who knows? But but yeah, the we get to talk about this for a return. couple more years. Yeah, Let's go. Uh, th- that that could get weird. But then you know, look, uh, it's, it's going to be spearheaded by Notre Dame, who doesn't want to join the ACC. <laughs> Honestly, uh, wouldn't be the most surprising thing either. <laughs> but uh, there's you know there's way more than us. We're not going to solve it in a twenty minute conversation here. Yeah. But uh, it's uh, it's I, I think it's fun. I think expansion is fun. I, I do I I do agree with people that there is a point of diminishing returns on a tournament i think the absolute biggest you could ever have in college football is 16 
I don't think it can go any further than that. But, um, you know, and that was death to the BCS. You know, I brought that book up a bunch of times. Uh, Dan Wetzel, Jeff Bassan, uh, were involved in writing that one. And, uh, you know, they talked about, I think there are 11 conferences. How many conferences are there now? Are there 10? There's a power five and a group of five. So, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so 10. So uh, even if you put all 10 in and then had six at-large bids, I think that would work too. I think this works better though. I like the the six and six, but that's also with 16 and not with 12. So uh, anyway, I think we've beat this to death. So let's go ahead and move on. And today, Nick, we want to talk about over and underachieving themes in 2020. And how, how are we doing this? This is compared to their team performance or their their record going in uh, from the previous year or from the numbers that we expected them to have uh, for that year? How are we, how are we going about basing what an over and underachiever is? So the way I think of it, I, I pretty much will always start with our, our main set of ratings, uh, whether it's our team strength rating, roster strength, team performance, or coaching ratings. And the way I, sort of in my mind and, and maybe over underachiever isn't the perfect word, but it's sort of uh, the best I could think of uh, when I started kind of going through the exercise was comparing a team's 2020 team performance rating. So how they fared on the field uh, using our advanced stats, a wide variety of, of different numbers that help to kind of give a better, uh, you know, grade on how well a team played compared to just whether they won or lost um, kind of digs, you know, a little deeper in the box score, that sort of thing. So comparing that team performance rating to their roster strength rating. So how well is the team playing on the field compared to the roster that it has on hand, the talent it has on hand and roster strength is talent adjusted for experience and production the way we do it if, if this is your first time with us. So all of those ratings, our coaching ratings, our team strength ratings, uh, they're on the same scale where a perfect rating is a 100. A very, very bad rating is in the 60s. So we're kind of able to compare them. You know, it, it might not necessarily seem like, oh, you know, a stats versus a talent metric, but we're on the same scale. So they should, you know, it's not perfect, but they should be uh, comparable. So uh, just took a, a simple uh, net, you know, how, how uh, higher or how much higher or lower the team performance rating was compared to the roster strength rating and, and came up with a list of 10 and was, was, you know, a fairly interesting list, not a lot of, major surprises a lot of these teams were ones that we've talked about in the stats corner before as being among you know the more impressive in uh college football and you know yards per play and you know uh, points per drive all that good stuff uh but it was very very heavy in group of five teams in 2020 so the biggest overachiever you know comparing their their average roster strength to team performance last year was coastal carolina really had no track record for success, at least, you know, FBS success, and then jumped up undefeated regular season conference, you know, champs, co-champs, whatever you want to call it, uh, had a huge win over BYU uh, and, you know, became a, a ranked team, the team that everybody's talking about right now is, oh, they would have been the 12th team in the uh, playoff if it were last year. Uh, so, you know, 
makes sense there, number one. Ball State, number two, Mac Champs, you know, kind of, again, a little bit of a surprise. They've been a bit of a uh, more steady climber, not necessarily a come out of nowhere, but, you know, haven't had a winning season in a while, win seven games at the end of the year, win the Mac title, and, you know, makes sense that they would be high on this list. Buffalo, the team that they beat, is uh, number three, the team that they beat in the in the MAC championship game. Uh, defending Boca Raton Bowl champion BYU, <laughs> number four uh, yes. on that list. One of the one of the most impressive teams. I mean, you know, they're up at the top Just of team performance ratings. Dropping facts you definitely knew before the show started today. Hey, so. it's relevant. I was going to try to segue into that, but, <laughs> but we kept talking on the on the preview, which is fine. It's fine. But uh, yeah, so so defending Boca Raton Bowl champion BYU uh, was fourth biggest overachiever, uh, fifth Arizona State, the only Power Five team. But again, even that's a little strange because they only played four games, so we don't really know how much you know weight to put into that team performance rating. And one of those games, one of those four games, was the what seventy to seven uh, win over Arizona. So uh, that you know. Little, little interesting there. Liberty was sixth, another similar rise to Coastal Carolina. Uh, San Jose State came up, you know, kind of similar to Ball State and ended up uh, losing to Ball State in the, the bowl game, but a little more of a steady riser over the last three or four years. Kent State, very exciting offense, very small sample. Uh, Air Force was number nine, Ohio uh, number 10, and both of those – you know, consistently pop up in the top, if not top 10, top 20, top 25 of this list year after year, because Ohio and and Air Force, you know, the recruiting ratings are so low, the roster strength ratings are so low, and they're consistently, you know, not conference champions year after year, but they're kind of in the hunt each year. So it was not a surprise to see them, you know, as high as they were on this list. But I also took a look back because when I, I ran this and, and thought, man, this is a lot of G5 teams. And I think it's a lot more G5 teams than we usually have. So I look back at last year's numbers and instead of only one power five team in the top 10, there were only two group of five teams in the top 10 in 2019. They were number one and number two Navy and air force. So two service academies, you know, makes sense. They're, they're often, uh, overachieving type teams, but followed by Wisconsin national champion, LSU, Alabama, arguably the second best team in 2019, uh, Minnesota, Auburn, Utah, Penn state, Clemson. So it, it kind of struck me like, you know, what, what was different in 2020. And, and I think for me, the most obvious thought is a lot of these overachieving teams, even ones that were a lot of fun and really impressive, like coastal Carolina, ball state, Buffalo, played a really soft schedule. So our team performance ratings, I think, are a little bit inflated towards some of these uh, really high-performing group of five teams. I think if they were to play a normal, would have played a normal schedule with more power five, you know, crossover games, things like that, or non-conference games against power five opponents, uh, I, I, I'm not sure Coastal Carolina would have gone undefeated in the regular season. Pretty sure, you know, 
Ball State and Buffalo probably would have lost a game or two in non-conference play, that sort of thing. So that would have knocked down their team performance rating a little bit, and then they might not have finished quite as high, might have had a few more Power 5 teams, some of which played really, really difficult schedules, uh, didn't get you know, a cupcake against an FCS opponent or uh, lower division, you know, lower uh, conference group of five uh, conference team. So thought it just thought it was kind of interesting that that we could learn a thing or two maybe about some of these teams, but also I, I think 2020, at least as far as this one particular, you know, uh, set of, of uh, overachievers based on the way that we calculated it, it's a, it's a little bit of an outlier, I think, compared to most years because of that conference uh, schedule element. Yeah, I mean, the, the the first thing that I thought, Xavier, when I looked at this was, uh, oh, you know, maybe it, it. I thought, okay, G5 teams, I wasn't even thinking about the schedule, which I obviously should have been, like Nick pointed out. Uh, but I was thinking, well, maybe uh, we just, maybe the coaches matter a little more in the G5 or maybe the uh you know the original recruiting numbers maybe they found either guys that fit better for their system or maybe should have been ranked a little bit higher or something i didn't think about the schedule but the schedule thing obviously makes a ton of sense here what uh when you look at these teams is there like a certain thing overarching that jumps out to you is it the schedule is it the fact that it was g5s because you know like nick said doing a a deeper dive into 2019 kind of showed us that that was a lot of G5 teams. So it's different underachievers from year to year so far from what we've seen. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with Nick. I mean, when you're able to avoid a lot of those P5 non-conference games, which is, I think, added to the, the lack of uh, competition in their schedules this year, that definitely lends to them being able to overachieve. You know, you look at a team like a Coastal Carolina they were, you know, they they played just a Sun Belt, and if you look at the rest of this list, there's only one other Sun Belt. There's two other Sun Belt teams in the top 25 for overachieving. That should tell you. Oh, excuse me, three. I forgot about Georgia State. Excuse me. Uh, but when you do that, and you and you look at the fact that most of these teams only had to play conference opponents, that you take away the fact that a lot of these teams play non-conference. They play up. For instance, Georgia Southern, who's on this list, who is ranked uh, 19th. They typically have a game against an SEC opponent every year, whether that be Georgia, LSU, and company. They always typically go on the road and play an SEC opponent to start their year off. Without that game, they definitely have an opportunity to having a better year than if you also throw in the fact that they're playing an SEC school. You know, and and that goes for a lot of uh, Sun Belt schools who typically play SEC opponents throughout the year. You know, and, and including BYU in an independent schedule like for them, they're typically playing a USC. They're typically playing possibly even a Notre Dame in their independent schedules as well. And without that, you know, two years ago, they played Tennessee. Without those games, it definitely lends to them being able to curate their schedule uh, to make it a, a little bit more easier than in a normal year where they would have to go off and play these ranked opponents, especially early on in the year where a lot of these teams haven't even found, you know, they're necessarily their footing yet. And then they have to go into these hostile environments and play them like going into USC, like going into Tennessee, Georgia and others. Nick, did we find anything, I guess, that that a lot of these teams had in common? Was it uh, maybe something on offense, something on defense? Was, ev- was it pretty much everybody had a light schedule? Was that like the one unifying thing? Or is there a unifying thing that we have found from this information? Well, I, I, think, I think your first instinct in a lot of ways was correct. 
in most years. And I think that's why Navy and Air Force were number one and number two in 2019, because those are two programs who recruit basically two stars across the board, the occasional, you know, two and a half, three star type player, but, you know, play a a system that helps them to kind of neutralize that talent advantage some and, and, you know, able to really develop players over uh, a large, you know, several years and and all of that. So I, I think there's something to that. And I think if we go a little farther down the list, then, you know, uh, in 2019, for instance, Appalachian State was number 12 on the list. Iowa, a power five team, but, you know, kind of plays that or, or you know, has a similar mindset of we're a developmental program. There's not a whole lot of, you know, really high rated uh, recruits around. So it, it makes a certain amount of sense that they're a top 15 team. UCF was 17th. Louisiana, 18th, FAU, 19th. FAU, you know, had a really, really strong year in, in 2019. So, you know, not necessarily a surprise. So, but, uh, so, so I think that there's, there's definitely some truth to your thought that, you know, these are, we're getting guys who are under recruited, under uh, rated, who are, who are developed and, and all of that. But I, I think that it was just sort of, uh, you know, the the schedule uh, piece of it is what made it so different in 2020 because I, I just think that those overall team performance ratings, which we, you know, we don't have an additional strength of schedule weight added to it. Maybe that, you know, maybe I learned something. Maybe we need to, to focus a little more on that. Usually it just kind of takes care of itself. Um, but you know, this year, I think because we went from eight power five teams as overachievers to nine group of five teams, I, I my thought is it just has to be kind of the schedule is the number one piece. But right. the number two piece is these are teams who have, you know, uh, found some diamonds in the rough, who have developed players really well, who have some unique schemes. I mean, we don't really talk about haven't really talked about Coastal Carolina in depth as far as what they do, but they're there are a lot of triple option elements to what they do. I mean, it is a unique system that not everybody uh, sees very often. So they are one of those teams. I mean, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, but then there's also some Liberty, for example, would they be on this list, this list if they didn't have Malik Willis power five transfer, you know, got caught in sort of a weird situation where, he probably, you know, would have been a very, very successful quarterback at Auburn, but uh, ends up, you know, getting beat out for that job, moves on, finds an offense that's a perfect fit for him. He is obviously the most talented player on the field whenever he, he steps up, you know, uh, onto it uh, against a, a, you know, other group of five team or, or what have you. So uh, there, there are definitely some interesting parts of it, but uh, I, I think that the schedule piece is part of it. I think, you know, some systems are, are part of it, why an Air Force is on this list back-to-back years. But then I do also wonder a little bit about this idea of the steady climber because, you know, Ball State, I, I was just reading the, the, you know, state of the program on the athletic for Ball State earlier today. And the, it opens with, you know, talking about how, uh, in 2017, they were two and ten, and then they went four and eight, and then they went five and seven, and then last year seven and one. And you know, would they have been 
10 and one in a normal season? Probably not, but they might've, you know, still been eight and four conference champions. And so it would have continued that sort of steady rise. San Jose right. state's kind of a similar program where, you know, they were awful just a few years ago. Then they got a little bit better. They started losing close instead of getting blown out. Then they started, you know, winning some games here and there. And then this past year, it all came together and they were a good team and, and won a lot of games. So there, there are, certainly some programs like that who you can see the progress and they're moving in the right direction. But then there are some teams that I'm a little bit skeptical. Like I've had a, 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 a patron supporter of ours uh, who was a, a newcomer in the, the spring was looking at our early projections and was like, Hey, you know, why, why is coastal Carolina in the thirties? Because, you know, they were a 10 win team, Conference, they're forty first right now. Why? Why are they so low? They went eleven and one. They were a great team, and and we were kind of talking about it a little bit. And it and it's because they really, at least as far as our numbers are concerned, are a one hit wonder, a one year wonder because they were into the triple digits in team performance for for years until this past year posted a top 10 team performance rating. Is that because they really truly were, you know, the eighth best team on the field in college football last year? Uh, maybe, but you know, they did play a little bit of a weak schedule. There's some, some debate to be had perhaps, but our numbers don't necessarily trust them. We like to see uh, consistent performance or at least a, you know, little bit of a steady rise. And so that's why our, our numbers are skeptical because we incorporate a five-year weighted average and a three-year weighted average to say, you know, yeah, Coastal Carolina was really good and, and we want to give them credit for that year. But we also can't forget about the two years prior to that and the four years prior to that, just because this program, you know, more often than not has not been a top 10 team. So I, I might be falling a little <laughs> on, a, on a tangent there, but, but uh, this, that the list that, populated with with this number of of overachievers uh got me to think about some of those programs that you know can we trust a coastal carolina i'm not sure i think they're really good but i feel like i can trust ball state just a little bit more to be what they were last year if that makes sense based on the way this this list has come together and and based on my my prior knowledge of those programs are the underachievers, are they easier to pinpoint than the overachievers? Uh, if you look on the reverse end, I mean, yeah, it's funny uh, looking at, at this list, Nick, that uh, Vanderbilt comes up as the biggest underachiever because I don't think we expected a ton from them anyway, and they still underachieved from, from that. But uh, the rest of these teams you know, on the list, LSU is an obvious one. I think Michigan's yeah. an obvious one. Some of them are clear but some of them are also a little bit surprising as well. Yeah, there are a few SEC teams. Uh, Vanderbilt is is a little bit of a surprise. As you said that you know, pretty modest expectations. But if we look at you know, in any of the times we reference recruiting rankings and all of our right. you know recap shows and things like that, you think, oh well, uh, Vanderbilt's last in the SEC in recruiting. But looking back at our recruiting strength rankings. And the worst that they've done dating back to 2015 is 56th. 
I mean, that's a lot better than, you know, Ball State's a lot better than Coastal Carolina, Buffalo, all of that. So even though they are consistently last or next to last in the SEC in recruiting, uh, they have a much talented roster player to player and a much higher roster strength rating than a Coastal Carolina, a Liberty, a San Jose State, Kent State, those teams. So it, it makes a certain amount of sense. Uh, but yeah, LSU was, was a pretty obvious one. Uh, Arizona, you know, had not the, the most, uh, talented roster, but had some really good players and, and ended up, uh, just having a, a really, really bad year. You know, Xavier, I'm sure a smile came to his face when he saw that Tennessee was, uh, third to last on this list of, of underachievers. Of uh, we've talked about South Carolina a lot. I mean, they're a better recruiter than Vanderbilt, but they're kind of in the same boat where they're consistently eighth, ninth, tenth in the conference, uh, but they have a top 35 roster year after year. Uh, and then Florida State's just kind of, you know, we've talked about them a lot in the past. They're, they're mm-hmm. our biggest underachiever uh, from last year. And it's because, you know, they they have consistently recruited pretty well, but they've just kind of fallen in a hole they can't get out of right now. And and so uh, they're continuing to, you know, uh, post really, really poor team performance ratings, 110th last year overall. But you compare that with uh, recruiting classes that are moving in the wrong direction. But the last three classes have all still been top 25 classes. So they're a talented, you know, talented roster and, and were a top 30 uh, team in roster streak last year. So when you're putting up, a you know, rank 110th in team performance, but you've got the 30th best roster in the country, you know, that that is that is really, really disappointing. Yeah, I mean, Xavier, when you look at the underachievers, uh, it's, I think it's more surprising. It's a more surprising list than the, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, looking, you know, hindsight is 2020, as we always say, like we know, we knew these were going to be the underachievers going in, but we had no idea LSU was going to be this bad. That Florida state yeah. was going to continue to be as terrible as they have been. So, <laughs> uh, some of these teams are rather surprising. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the teams that you've named, I think there's also some teams on here that I think a lot of the fan bases would say that they weren't maybe as bad as the numbers suggest. You know, you look at Auburn, which is 108 on this list, and they went 6-4 and four last year and went to a bowl game. Yes, they lost that bowl game, but I think a lot of Auburn fans would have took that, you know, after the year that they had, the, the up-and-down season, and especially with a lot of these teams probably feeling a little bit hard done by, especially with the fact that uh, a lot of these teams had to play only conference schedules. You look at a team like a Texas Tech that only played a Big 12 schedule last year. I think they look at the, you know their final record. You know They were 93rd on this list. I think they look at their record and they go, well, honestly, if we had have played an out of co- a normal schedule with our non-conference games, we may have been better. You know, a team that's a, a little surprising for me that's on this, uh, that's lower on our list, uh, ranking 95th is Arkansas. I think Arkansas played above what I think a lot of people would have expected them to play, you know, in a game where they probably should have won against Auburn, you know, competing against Georgia for a half. You know, Felipe Franks really bringing that team to what was, you know, the most competitive Arkansas has looked in a couple of years. I think a lot of people would say they they overachieved, in my opinion. Uh, So I think that there's some teams on here that I think if they had a a normal year with a normal maybe non-conference schedule, you know, some more FCS opponents, maybe, you know, some lesser uh, P5 opponents on their schedule possibly as well, they would have – they think that they probably would have had a better uh, a better year than what you know it indicates. And you know, and lastly, before I go, before I go, a team that was in the playoff, I believe, 
yeah, it was in the playoff. Right, you know, that's sixty first on this list is, is, is Notre Dame, and, and I yeah. think that people will also say that that was an overachieving. You know, they played a, you know, they they made the playoff somewhere. Notre Dame has been trying to do for you know a very long time. They made the they made they made the playoff, and a lot of teams would say you know they beat Clemson in the regular season. A lot of people would say that Notre Dame overachieved because they were you know at least the regular season winners of the ACC. You know, you know regular season they were the best team in that conference. Why were they, why are they at the middle of the pack here when we're looking at overachievers and underachievers? Well, one one you bring up some some really interesting points. Another way to to think about it though, if Notre Dame finished sixty first, think about there are one hundred and thirty FBS teams, and that sixty five mark is is middle of the road. So just think of that that sixty five uh, ranked team, not as the sixty mm-hmm. fifth best team or most over or underachieving team, but that was the average team that, that pretty much you can say that a team in the sixties performed more or less how we expected. Exactly how we expected. Right. 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 So 65, by the way, 65 Akron. Akron is the average show of college football. Some improvement. (laughs) Uh, But you know, NC state. Yeah. You know, okay. They performed about, what we thought, right? Miami, sure, okay, yeah, yeah, they were about what what we expected. Uh, UCF, I thought UCF was was kind of disappointing, but yeah. you know, had a winning season, went to a bowl game, but but they're you know sixty seventh. Alabama, we we talked about Alabama being mm-hmm. arguably the best team of all time. They were sixty eighth on this list because they've got such a high hill to climb as far yeah. as roster strength goes. They were number one in roster strength. Mm-hmm. They were number one in team performance and that team performance was a little bit better than that roster strength, but only by an average amount. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it can be a little confusing. That's why I didn't just, you know, post this list out publicly. It's more just sort of a, a, a tool of kind of a thought exercise because it, it can, you know, you can see one thing and, and want to, to think about it a certain way. The Auburn, example i think is an interesting one because all and arkansas both both that you brought up uh auburn you think okay well you know it wasn't that bad a year well who's who was coaching at auburn in 2020 and who's coaching at auburn mm-hmm. now? uh so it obviously wasn't that great a year compared <laughs> yeah. to somebody's expectations uh and then on the other hand arkansas they they're kind of caught in a little bit. Remember last week when we were talking strength of schedule, they were number one or number two right. in our strength of schedule ratings last year. And so, you know, that, that of course is, is to be noted. And yeah, they won more games than we thought they should. And they could have won more games if they didn't get some unlucky breaks. But part of the reason we do team performance the way we do uh, we look beyond wins and losses because sometimes losses are misleading. Sometimes wins are, are misleading and Arkansas is going to be a very, very interesting team. We're going to, we're going to be talking about Arkansas, I think <laughs> in, over the next couple of weeks, because I was doing, and this is, you know, maybe a segue as well. I was doing a little uh, looking. I finally got access to DraftKings win totals. I don't know if it was a New Hampshire thing or a me <laughs> thing, or what, but I finally got in there and, and I made a few, uh, made a few wagers, and one of them invo- involved Arkansas because a lot of people are saying, "Hey, yeah, they improved a lot, and they did in some ways." But you know, we dig a little bit deeper. Uh, some of the numbers, you know, 
yeah, they improved, but they still weren't great. And so are they going to be able to kind of steady climb like some of these other teams that we've talked about? Or, you know, are, are they going to kind of sit around the, the same level that they have been? Uh, and, and right now our numbers, kind of the way at least they compare to, to uh, the win total <laughs> options that were out there, our numbers are a little low on, on Arkansas. I actually met, uh, made a bet on, on Arkansas under, uh, what was it, four wins? No. So I just had it. Arkansas under, four under wins? six. Sorry, sorry. Under Arkansas six. under six, yeah. So it, it wasn't our biggest edge. We'll actually talk about three here in a second that I want to add to our betting game uh, ledgers. But okay. uh, but I did did wager real American dollars on Arkansas to be under uh, six wins this year. Uh, that's uh, you're going to be a big Texas fan week too. Then so uh, yeah, big, let's big, go. Big. Uh, anything else to add on underachievers, Javier? Before we go to transfers, um, no, I, I think Nick hit it right on the head. I, I think that he also explained it pretty well about the middle point. Um, no other teams on this list. I will say it. I think it's funny that Clemson is ranked 77th on this list and i think a lot of people would say clemson performed at about where they thought they would be uh maybe they underperformed due to the loss to notre dame in the year uh but where you know but i think a lot of people would say well notre, they were in the national championship game they played exactly how they they got to where we thought they would get to uh you know they they are who we thought they were so ten spots below average because they <laughs> lost a regular season game right or <laughs> below what we said you know at least the way my mind works. I, this is not a perfect number in any way, shape, or form. It's just kind of a, a way to organize things a little bit. Maybe we can learn something. You know, we, I wrote down a couple of questions for us to, to talk about when I was going through uh, the exercise, and, and I don't have any hard and fast answers. I don't know that there's any real conclusions that we can draw because 2020 was so strange. Mm -hmm. But I, I think there's there's some value in in seeing, you know, how how compared to what a team looks like on paper, what did they look like, you know, on the field, at least according to the numbers. And there are some surprising teams and there's some, you know, some some teams that uh you look and you kind of scratch your head and wonder why they are where they are. So uh, you, you know, it's uh, it, it's interesting, uh, you know, seeing these teams labeled as over and underachievers. I love it. Look, I'm I'm with you, Nick, as far as any type of information or graphic goes. I'm all uh, that that's that's what I'm here for. Uh, like, like you're here for any type of college football games, regardless of where they are and how they're played. You'll watch them. Look, give me some type of weird information I haven't seen before, right? Or different, not weird, but different. That uh, so I, I love it. I absolutely love it. But I want to talk about speaking of things. I, I find this thing that you have here at the bottom of the transfers. I did not realize this, and this is nuts to me. Uh, I'm going to go with the other stuff first. We're going to save that for last. So uh, kind of just going through the transfers that happened over the last week. Earlier today, off uh, Ole Miss linebacker Jacques Jones uh, announced his commitment to Kentucky. He was a second-leading tackle uh, tackler for the Rebels uh, last year and is an immediate impact for Kentucky, of course. Uh, Colorado quarterback Sam Neuer, who moved back from safety to become a second all, all Pac-12 performer in 2020 is in the uh, transfer portal. So that is interesting. Uh, he was in danger of losing his uh, job to either Brandon Lewis or Tennessee transfer J.T. Strout. Uh, Kansas quarterback 
cornerback Karen Prunty, uh, who earned freshman All-American honors as a starter for the Jayhawks and entered the portal. Um, he's a Virginia native. He reportedly has been highly sought after some P5 programs. Not a surprise to see Kansas guys transferring. Uh, USC defensive tackle Jay Toyoa, a four-star early enrollee who was impressive this spring, uh, transferred to UCLA. Uh, so that was uh, that was an uh, an issue, or you know, depth on, uh, among the defensive line is an issue for UCLA, and he is adding over there. Texas uh, landed uh, Alabama transfer Keelan Robinson, who is a uh, he played wide receiver last year, uh, recruited as a running back, so he's a little bit of a tweener. Uh, obviously, will be behind um, Bijan regardless of what his role is, but he should be a lot of fun to watch. And this. Nick is just crazy <laughs> to me that Texas State has signed its first high school recruit in 2021, a linebacker Nace Johnson, because they've had so many transfers in. I mean, of course, talk about any of the other stuff that you want to. That is nuts to me. I I can't believe I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't realize it that they didn't have one high school enrollee this year. That is crazy. Yeah, I, I uh, quote tweeted uh, that that news today. A reporter from uh, the Dave Campbell's Texas Football, who I am a, a subscriber to. I'm, I think, probably the New Hampshire subscriber. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, saw saw that news that that uh, Texas State has added a late signee uh, to uh, uh, Sheehan. Uh, Jerry Rogers, the, the reporter, does a great job there for, for uh, Texas football. But, um, uh, yeah, you know, it, it was news to me because uh, they had been so heavy in the transfer portal that, you know, created a little bit of buzz around uh, National Signing Day because at that point they had one non-FBS or FCS transfer, uh, and he was a junior college signee. So mm -hmm. uh, for them to, to ink their first – high school recruit of this uh, cycle. Uh, pretty interesting, kind of broke a streak. But yeah, Texas State and Western Kentucky did a similar, uh, had a similar process, tons of transfers, only a, I think they had four high school or four, you know, non-transfer signees. So some definitely some some teams that are embracing uh, transfers more than, than others and kind of staying away from high school talent this year, which you know, for some makes a certain amount of sense because they haven't been able to get out and see them in person, maybe didn't have a season, maybe, you know, uh, just in different spots in, in the country. So uh, interesting, though, the, the Texas State one was was pretty unique. And to see that today was was uh, kind of interesting. Uh, the you know, I, I think we're kind of moving away or it seemed like we were moving away from the biggest impact transfers things that are kind of quieting down a little bit but you know all the ones that you mentioned i think certainly could have an impact i mean uh kentucky has had a strong defense has had good linebackers obviously uh jamin davis was a top 20 draft pick last year they had what one two three four five uh, defensive players drafted. So uh, could use some bodies and linebacker, at least according to our numbers, was the weakest unit uh, on the, the team. They ranked 76th in our linebacker unit rankings, 13th in the SEC. So getting a player like Jones, even though Ole Miss didn't have, you know, 
a great defense. Uh, he's somebody who's got a lot of experience. Was the second leading tackler, as you mentioned. So uh, should come in at least, you know, I think we're able to pencil him in as a starter, uh, but at the very least, you know, provide some depth, provide some SEC experience. Uh, Sam Neuer, really interesting case. Looked like he was really in danger of losing that job in the bowl game. Uh, also had already, you know, switched away from quarterback before Carl Durrell was hired. Durrell, you know, mentioned uh, in a statement after the news came out that he was very appreciative for Neuer, played a big role in, in kind of helping get the new coaching staff off on the right foot last year. So uh, sad, I guess, to, to see a player who had a, a positive impact really looking like he was going to lose his job, especially after uh, being an all-pack 12, you know, voted to the second team all-pack 12 uh, would be very, very strange to have that type of uh, player not be the starting quarterback the next year, but, you know, probably saw the writing on the wall and maybe he'll go to FCS. Maybe he'll, you know, become a, a backup somewhere else. Be uh, just sort of curious to see where he ends up. Pronti, I think is going to be a very good player. And I, I haven't seen specific programs at least yet that are uh, interested, but knowing that he is from, Virginia, you think maybe a Virginia Tech, a Virginia, uh, who's been more active than I would have expected in the portal, uh, might be interested. It seems like he's going to be going up, not down, to a higher profile Power 5 situation instead of moving down to a G5 situation. So I, I think that he will be uh, someone who's who's certainly in demand and, and probably will find a home pretty soon uh, You know, if he wants it. We thought, or I thought, that uh, Keelan Robinson, you know, from from uh, not too far away from the the DC area. We talked briefly last week when he went into the transfer portal that maybe Maryland seemed like the most uh, obvious choice. But you know, going to his former offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian, who knows how to use him. You mentioned he's got a pretty versatile skill set. Uh, was practicing a receiver this spring. Uh, has been a running back in the past. Uh, you know. Similar to, to what I said about, uh, you know, Jones ending up at, at Kentucky, Texas has talent at, at the running back position, of course, with B. John Robinson, but depth maybe isn't quite what it we would expect it to be. And then who knows? Especially since Ingram left. Yeah. Sure, sure. And, you know, uh, getting somebody who can catch the football out of the backfield that you can do a, a variety of different things with, who has knowledge of the system, who can uh, help, you know, bring other players along who are, you know, getting used to it for the first time. Seems like it'll be, you know, maybe it's one of those moves where he's not going to be a superstar by any stretch, but we'll have an impact potentially behind the scenes or uh, might make a big play, you know, here or there that, that uh, ends up, you know, winning a game or, or something like that. So uh, kind of an under the radar move, but, but one that could have an impact. And then Jay Toya, really interesting story. Sounded like he was at least had worked his way up to the two deep at USC was going to play. And then, uh, for whatever reason, decided USC wasn't the place for him, but didn't want to go very far. And, you know, UCLA, it looks like to me, at least as far as our, our depth charts are shaping up, that interior defensive line at UCLA, uh, there's even less, you know, resistance to, to playing time there. They've got two seniors uh, who, are, who are nose tackles, but Toya is the only other player listed as an interior defensive lineman in our 
notes in our depth chart. So immediately it seems like he'll be in the rotation. And if he's not starting this year, you know, you can pretty much pencil him in to be a starter in uh, 2022. So sounds like he'll be a very good player whenever he gets a shot. And, and it looks like he's going to be uh, getting a shot sooner rather than later. So not a ton of transfer news, but you know, some that have an impact potentially uh, and, and some, you know, names that we recognize or should recognize uh, moving on to, to new opportunities. Yeah, there's definitely some interesting ones here, Xavier. What are your thoughts on the transfers? Yeah, I mean, for me, the more interesting one is is uh, Karan Prunty or Prunty. I'm gonna say Prunty. Uh, Nick hit it absolutely on the head. He's a Virginia kid through and through. And four days before he signed his letter of intent with Kansas, he visited Virginia Tech. It was almost like a last ditch. Like, well, let me see if you know I, I like it here just a little bit more uh, before signing for Kansas. I, so I think Virginia Tech, Virginia is absolutely. I think Virginia Tech should be the front runner here. Possibly Virginia as well. Uh, Sam Neuer leaving Colorado is a weird situation because he's spent most of his time here. Uh, whether he stays in the Pac-12 or not, being a kid from Beaverton, may go and see if he can, you know, compete at Oregon State. I doubt it. Uh, the only other school that he was really interested in, it looks like, uh, before he committed to Colorado back in 2016, was Eastern Washington. Uh, so I don't know if that, you know, if, if he would decide to go down there. Uh, he took, you know, uh, literally his his, his Second, the last offer before getting the offer from Colorado was Eastern Washington. Uh, they were about two weeks apart. He then committed to uh, Colorado right away. So maybe there's a possibility he decides to move down there. Uh, Keelan Robinson uh, moving to uh, Texas. The funny thing about that for me is if you try to even go to Keelan Robinson on Alabama's website, his name is immediately erased. It's gone already. They move quickly over <laughs> there. Uh, you know, he has no, uh, you know, no recollection of More being time. an Alabama player. Yeah, yeah, no more ties. Uh, but I, I think this would be a great move for Texas. He's a guy who's a Swiss Army knife and under Sarkeesian. You know Sarkeesian loves guys who can play multiple positions. So having the ability to play both running back and receiver will be big for him. And I think it's just big for him in general, him being only 5'8", him having that versatility is going to be huge, especially in the Big 12. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. I was very, very excited uh, by him transferring in. So, Oh, uh, and have you seen him since he's transferred? Like, I, don't, I don't know if you've seen his physical build since he's like – so oh, he's he Jack. Went to, yeah, he went to Bama, played Bama for Ch Bama in 2019, sat out the 2020 season due to COVID. He's massive now. Yeah. He put on a bunch of muscle in that offseason. And uh, so it, it thinks, for me, it thinks that he's alluding to playing running back. Uh, but, you know, you never know nowadays. Some of these receivers like DK Metcalf are built like, you know, garbage trucks. So you never yeah. know. Yeah, mean. exactly. And uh, I'm glad that he uh, he did what a lot of us couldn't during the pandemic was uh, we're all we're all going mean, we to learn a foreign weight. language or, uh, you know, uh, better ourselves somehow. Most of us just uh, ate. So, you know, uh, that that's just uh, how how it happened for a lot of people. But uh, it's time to talk about another stat here. And Nick, this one, uh, we're going to get into some fancy math, I believe. So uh, it is expected points allowed. And this is me once again, handing the ball off to you and listening. Yeah, this uh, so far is our only real fancy math stat. Uh, expected points added, and it's EPA for short, EPA per play uh, that, that we're talking about. And, and to be quite honest with you, of the ones that we've discussed, and this is the last of our 
five important stats that we list at, at the top of each FBS team profile that we incorporate into our projections. And, and again, to be completely honest with you, I don't have a, a perfect working knowledge of EPA. Thankfully, uh, we can rely on the work of some some very smart people. Parker Fleming, somebody I've I've mentioned before, uh, he is uh, from CFBGraphs.com, CFB-Graphs.com. Uh, he and a team of other very smart folks got together in 2019 using data from CollegeFootballData.com, which is of course a, a great uh, resource for uh, you know creating new stats, building on existing ideas, things like that. Uh, team got together, were able to come up with an EPA model because this is one of the numbers that's not necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily set in stone. You can kind of put different parameters around it. Uh, this team got together, found what they thought was the best version of, of the model for it and published that. And, and now Parker is doing, uh, has gone back and, time to put, you know, leaderboards together for past years and, and uh, has done this in the 2019 and 2020 seasons. And uh, we take a look at both EPA per play offensively, EPA per play defensively. And then as always, we try to look uh, on the net for EPA. Uh, the more accepted term is EPA margin. I often use those uh, kind of interchangeably margin and, and net, but same idea. So, you know, the, the, it's, it's, complicated. It can be a bit complicated, but in short, EPA, it's designed to measure the impact of a single play based on down, distance, and yard line. So you get a certain amount of, uh, you know, expected points based on the result of that play. So over, you know, on an infinite timeline is the way I'm thinking of it. Uh, if you were on that same you know, down distance and yard line, you could expect a certain amount of points, but then also, uh, you know, the result of your one play uh, should result, you know, a 65 yard gain, for example, from this one spot should result in X number of points per, uh, you know, every time that, that you do it. It's not a perfect stat. There are no perfect stats. Nothing we do is perfect. None of the numbers that we put together is perfect, but, you know, similarly, it's a tool that can be used, uh, to, to get a better understanding of things, EPA can help measure success. It can help measure explosiveness and uh, whether or not players are executing a particular play uh, all in one. It's kind of what it's, it's designed to do. Some folks really love it. You know, I know it has uh, a foothold with, with some uh, NFL uh, fans and, and analysts. Uh, some folks don't. You know, kind of like with with any uh, analytics, there there are some people who are resistant to it. But I think if, if you know anybody out there understands that it's not designed to be perfect, but it's designed to be helpful, and you know it, it seems to like all the others that that we've discussed, uh, does a pretty good job of aligning you know the teams at the top are the best teams the teams at the bottom are the worst teams so last year in epa per play margin number one team alabama makes sense byu number two they've been number one or number two in in most of the things that we've looked at this year uh kent state number three and that's based in large part because they actually rank second offensively and just mere percentage points behind Alabama. So uh, that that's a big part of it. But again, we've talked about you know strength of schedule plenty or lack thereof. And I think personally, Kent State kind of falls into that category why they're as high here. But 
you know, they're they're a strong team. They're going to be a MAC uh, title contender, I think, next year. Clemson number four, Cincinnati number five, Ohio State number six. So you've got uh, three playoff teams in the top six. That makes a certain amount of sense. Cincinnati was a really really good team all year, top ten team according to a lot of folks. So it makes sense that they're number five. Coastal Carolina, we talked about, was a you know the biggest overachiever, at least the way that we were looking at it. They're number seven. Oklahoma, number eight, by the end of the year, one of the best teams in college football, especially one of the best not in the playoff. Uh, number nine, North Carolina. That was an interesting one to me. That's a team that we're definitely going to be looking closely at this year because our numbers do not, at this point, like North Carolina, at least as much as as most uh, you know analytical systems or, or even uh, you know voters, fans, analysts seem to to think of North Carolina, and then number ten Buffalo. So those are some pretty pretty solid teams, conference title teams, playoff teams, contending teams, uh, and then some just you know really really good teams like North Carolina uh, are at the top of that list. On the other end of the spectrum, an EPA per play margin. Uh, Michigan State was 118th, followed by USF, Arizona, Utah State, Syracuse, ULM, Akron, Bowling Green, Kansas. And A lot of those last, underachieving teams we just talked about. UMass. Yeah, <laughs> and and you know consistently, uh, a lot of the teams that we've been talking about in the bottom ten of these uh, you know stats that that we look at. So makes a certain amount of sense. There are a, similarly. Uh, a lot of the same names, you know, offensively and defensively that we've talked about being, you know, so good. That Kent State offense I mentioned was number two. North Carolina, number four offensively. Uh, and, and EPA per play is, uh, it, it's, it's you know, uh, it, it's less than one, right? And, uh, right we're talking yeah. about the best in, in college football and EPA per play margin. Alabama was .227 expected points added per play on margin offensively 0.361 defensively uh you know the best team in the country was wisconsin with negative 0.229 expected points added or or you know expected points uh prevented per play uh so that that might look a little intimidating it was to me the very first time i saw it to see a decimal and to see three decimal places but you know, but we won't necessarily get caught up in the specific numbers. Uh, what fancy right math now. means is decimal points, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and some people think the more uh, places you've got after the decimal, the, the better your number might be. You know, I try to keep things simple, but uh, I, I'm mostly looking at, okay, you know, Similarly, we've talked about building a goal board using these things. What does a top team, top 10 team look like? In EPA per play margin, uh, Buffalo is a top 10 team, 0.129. So we're going to use 0.13 as our cutoff uh, for our goal. Offensively, it's 0.175. So, you know, each play on average adding 0.175 points. Defensively, it's 0.145. So, you know, preventing 0.145 points uh, on average per play. And, you know, those are the numbers that, that we're going to be shooting for. As we're looking, you know, at the the advanced box scores at the end of each uh, game, did our team uh, meet that goal or or did they not? And you know, we'll we'll post all of these so that you won't have to remember point uh, one seven five on, on <laughs> offense. But uh, you know, it, it's for me 
I wanted to talk about them a little bit more. I do still want, you know, we might mix one or two more in later. Uh, Havoc Raid is is one that, you know, a lot of people like and, and have discussed that we don't use it in our projections, but we do look at it, especially in in relation to uh, returning production. We, we do count, you know, what what amount of Havoc plays are coming back, things like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I wanted to talk about it to, to get myself more familiar with the, each of these stats because we do use them. Uh, and then also to get, you know, better at talking about them. I don't, I don't know if I succeeded, but I mm-hmm. think, you know, you kind of learn by doing. So eventually force myself to, to talk about these a, a little more in depth than we do. Uh, I might start to get a little bit better with it, but, but EPA per play is the fanciest of math that at least we will get into. And fortunately there are other people much smarter than me who do the, the fancy math part of it and, and are kind enough to share it with us, uh, that we can use it. And that that's, uh, to me, I guess, sort of the, the beauty of this is it seems to work. It seems to kind of isolate the best teams, the best offense, the best defense. Uh, so I'm going to keep using it until something better comes along. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to, to one, get a little more familiar with it myself Two, get a little bit better about talking about it uh, in case somebody asks, hey, what is this? Why, why do you use this? Why, why is it important? So see, that's why we're doing it. Nick, Nick just talked about how, uh, you know, we're doing fancy math over here, how they're smarter people than us uh, doing, do, doing the, doing these stats. But, uh, look, I think we solved college football. The, we solved the college football playoff problem. We did that today. We, uh, told you who the underachievers and overachievers were next week. We're going to solve, uh, you know, all the financial crisis, COVID and immigration. So we'll be good. You know, uh, obviously not, but, uh, you know, that is going to wrap it up for us today. I hope you enjoyed our, uh, our talk and please, you know, uh, when Nick tweets the show out, please drop below, uh, what you think of the potential for the playoff, uh, you know, expansion. And if you like it, if you would like it to be bigger, but not quite 12, if you would like even more, if you think 16 is low, you know, if you want to go back to two teams or nobody you know, not a heads up game. We just give the championship to somebody at, at the end of the year based on voting. Uh, you know, just let us know your opinion on that stuff. But remember, you can uh, go if, ahead, if, Nick. Uh, if you want a higher probability of a response, uh, maybe ask about the overachievers or underachievers. <laughs> <laughs> no, remember, I, I don't really care. So uh, no, I, I, yeah, okay. Uh, I'll respond to those. Reach out to me. You. I do. Uh, there yeah. You, yeah, 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 yeah. Xavier and I Tweet will jump in on that one. So, sports at that's right. Xavier underscore Trish. That's right. C-H-E. That's it. For your playoff thoughts and opinions. And hit at CFB winning edge for your over and underachievers. So that'll do it for us. And we will yep on the Twitter machine. We will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.